Welcome to Subway Sidecar. I'm your host, Allison Hope. Today we're going to be reading an old fairy tale that's not that well known. Um, it's called The Rooted Lover by Lawrence Hausman and was written in 1894. So I just want you to sit back. I don't want to tell you much about it beyond the idea of... This was written in 1894. Tropes were still um, being developed in a lot of these ways, and I feel like love stories were not really prone to breaking those cycles. And so this does follow some pretty standard um, romantic fairy tale tropes. But there are a couple that I find are really delightful um, twists and turns, especially from an aesthetic perspective. Um, so I just want you to think about that while we're reading this. Enjoy. The Rooted Lover by Lawrence Hausman Morning and evening, a plowboy went driving his team through a lane at the back of the palace garden. Over the hedge, the wind came sweet with the scents of a thousand flowers, and through the hedge shot glimpses of all the colors of the rainbow, while now and then went the sheen of silver and gold tissue when the princess herself paced by with her maidens. Also, above all the crying and calling of the blackbirds and thrushes that filled the gardens with song, came now and then an airy, exquisite voice flooding from bower to field, and that was the voice of the Princess Fleur de Lis herself singing. When she sang, all the birds grew silent. New flowers came into bud to hear her and into blossom to look at her. Apples and pears ripened and dropped down at her feet. Her voice sang the bees home as if it were evening. And the plowboy, as he passed, stuck his face into the thorny hedge and feasted his eyes and ears with the sight and sound of her beauty. He was a red-faced boy, red with the wind and the sun, over his face his hair rose like a fair flame, but his eyes were black and bold, and for love he had the heart of a true gentleman. Yet he was but a plowboy, rough-shod and poorly clad in coat of frieze, and great horses went at a word from him. But no word from him might move the heart of that great princess. She never noticed the sound of his team as it jingled by, nor saw the dark eyes and the bronzed red face wedged into the thorn hedge of for love of her. "'Ah, oh, princess,' sighed the plowboy to himself, as the thorns prickled into his flesh. "'Were it but a thorn hedge which had to be trampled down, you should be my bride tomorrow.' But shut off by the thorns, he was not a whit further from winning her than if he had been kneeling at her feet. He had no wealth in all the world, only a poor hut with poppies growing at the door, no mother or father, and his own living to get.' to think it all of the princess was the sign either of a knave or a fool. No knave, but perhaps a fool, he thought himself to be. I will go, he said at last, to the wise woman who tells fortunes and works strange cures, and ask her to help me. So he took all the money he had in the world, and went to the wise woman in her house by the dark pool, and said, Show me how I may win P Princess Fleur de Lis to be my wife, and I will give you everything I possess." "'That is a hard thing to ask,' said the wise woman. "'How much dare you risk for it?' "'Anything you can name,' said he. "'Your life,' said she. "'With all my heart,' he replied, "'for without her I shall but end by dying.' "'Then,' said the wise woman, "'give me your money, and you shall take your own risk.' "'Then he gave her all. "'Now,' said she, "'you have but to choose any flower you like, "'and I will turn you into it.' 
Then, in the night, I will take you and plant you in the palace garden. And if before you die the princess touches you with her lips and lays you as a flower in her bosom, you shall become a man again and win her love. But if not, when the flower dies, you will die too and be no more. So if that seemed to you a bar- good bargain, you have but to name your flower, and the thing is done. Agreed with all my heart, cried the plowboy. Only make me into some flower that is like me, for I would have the princess to know what sort of man I am, so that she shall not be deceived when she takes to me to her bosom. He looked himself up, and he looked himself down in the pool which was before the wise woman's home. At his rough frieze coat with its frayed edges, his long, supple limbs, and his red face with its black eyes and hair gleaming at the top. I am altogether like a poppy, he said. What with a red head, and my rough coat, and my life among fields which the plough turns to furrow. Make a poppy of me, and put me in the palace garden, and I will be content. Then she stroked him down with her wand full coothly, and muttered her wise saws over him, for she was a wonderful witch-woman. And he turned before her very eyes into a great red poppy, and his coat of frieze became green and hairy all over him, and his feet ran down into the ground like roots. The wise woman got a big flower pot and a spade, and she dug him up out of the ground and planted him in the pot, and having watered him well, waited till it was quite dark. As soon as the pole star had hung out its light, she got across her besom, tucked the flower pot under her arm, and sailed away over hedge and ditch till she came to the palace garden. There she dug a hole in a border by one of the walks, shook the plowboy out of his flower pot, and planted him with his feet deep down in the soil. Then giving a wink all around, and a wink up to the stars, she set her cap to the east, mounted her besom, and rode away into thin space. But the poppy stood where she had left him, taking care of his petals, so as to be ready to show them off to the princess the next morning. He did not go fast asleep, but just dozed the time away, and found it quite pleasant to be a flower, the night being warm. Now and then small insects ran up his stalks, or a mole passed under his roots, reminding him of the mice at home. But the poppy's chief thought was for the morning to return. For then would come the princess walking straight to where he stood, and would reach out a hand and gather him, and lay her hip lips to his and his head upon her bosom, so that in the shaking of a breath he could turn again to his right shape, and her love would be won forever. Morning came, and gardeners with their brooms and barrows went all about, sweeping up the leaves and polishing off the slugs from the gravel paths. The head gardener came and looked at the poppy. "'Who has been putting this weed here?' he cried. And at that the poppy felt a shiver of red ruin go through him. For what if the gardener were to weed him up so that he could never see the princess again? All the other gardeners came and considered him, twisting wry faces at him. But they said, "'Perhaps it is a whim of the princess's.' It's none of our planting. So after all, they let him be. The sun rose higher and higher, and the gardeners went carrying away their barrows and brooms, but the poppy stood waiting with his black eye, turned to the way by which the princess should come. It was a long waiting, for princesses do not rise with a lark, and the poppy began to think his petals would be all shriveled and old before she came. But at last he saw slim white feet under the green boughs, and heard voices and shawm-like laughter, and knew that it was the princess coming to him. Down the long walks he watched her go, pausing here and there to taste a fruit that fell, or to look at a flower that opened. 
to him she would come shortly, and so bravely would he woo her with his red face that she would at once bend down and press her lips to his, and lift him softly to her bosom. Yes, surely she would do this. She came. She stopped full and began looking at him. He burned under her gaze. That is very beautiful, she said at last. Why have I not seen that flower before? Is it so rare, then, that there is no other? But, oh, it is too common, cried all her maids in a chorus. It is only a common poppy, such as grows wild in the fields. It is very beautiful, said the princess, and she looked at it long before she passed on. She half bent to it. Surely now, said the poppy, her lips to mine. Has it a sweet smell, she asked. But one of her maids said, No, only a poor little stuffy smell, not nice at all. And the princess drew back. Alas, alas, murmured the poor poppy in his heart as he watched her departing. Why did I forget to choose a flower with a sweet smell? Then surely at this moment she would have been mine. He felt as if his one chance were gone and death already overtaking him. But he remained brave. At least, he said, I will die looking at her. I will not faint or wither till I have no life left in me. And after all, there is tomorrow. So he went to sleep, hoping much, and slept late into the morning of the next day. Opening his eyes, he was aware of a great blaze of red in a border to his right. Ears had been attentive to the words of Princess Fleur-de-Lis, and a whole bed of poppies had been planted to gratify her latest fancy. There they were, in a thick mass, burning the air around them with their beauty. Alas, against their hundreds, what chance had he? And the princess came and stood by them, lost in admiration, while the poppy turned to her his lovesick eye, trying to look braver than them all. And she, being gracious, and not forgetful of what first had given her pleasure, came and looked at him also, but not very long. And as for her lips, there was no chance for him there now. Yet for the delight of those few moments, he was almost contented with the fate he had chosen to be a flower, and to die as a flower so soon as his petals fell. Days came and went. They were all alike now, save that the princess stayed less often to look at him or the other poppies which had stolen his last chance from him. He saw autumn changes coming over the garden. Flowers sickened and fell, and were removed, and the nights began to get cold. Beside him the other poppies were losing their leaves, and their flaming tops had grown scantier. But for a little while he would hold out still. So long as he had life, his eye should stay open to look at the princess as she passed by. The sweet-smelling flowers were gone, but the loss of their fragrant rivalry gave him no greater hopes. One by one, every gorgeous color dropped away. Only when a late evening primrose hung her lamp beside him in the dusk did he feel that there was anything left as bright as himself to the eye. And now death was taking hold of him, each night twisting and trivelling his leaves, but still he held up his head determined that, though but for one more day, his eyes should be blessed by a sight of his princess. If he could keep looking at her, he believed he should dream of her when dead. At length he could see that he was the very last of all the poppies, the only spot of flame in a garden that had gone gray. In the cold, dewy mornings, cobwebs hung their silvery hammocks about the leaves, and the sun came through mist, making them sparkle. And beautiful they were, but to him they looked like the winding sheet of his dead hopes. Now it happened, just about this time, that the prince of a neighboring country was coming to the court to ask Princess Fleur-de-Lis' hand in marriage. 
The fame of his manners and of his good looks had gone before him, and the princess being bred to the understanding that princesses must marry for the good of nations according to the bidding of their parents, was willing, since the king as her father wished it, to look upon his suit with favor. All that she looked for was to be wooed with sufficient ardor, and to be allowed time for becoming hesitancy before yielding. A great ball was prepared to welcome the prince on his arrival, and when the day came, Princess Fleur de Lis went into the garden to find some flower that she might wear as an adornment of her loveliness. But almost everything had died of frost, and the only flower that retained its full beauty was the poor, bewitched poppy, kept alive for love of her. "'How wonderfully that red flower has lasted,' she said to one of her maidens. "'Gather it for me, and I will wear it with my dress tonight.' The poppy, not knowing that he was about to meet a much more dangerous rival than any flower, thrilled and almost fainted for bliss as the maid picked him from the stalk and carried him in. He lay upon Princess Fleur de Lis's toilet table and watched the putting on of her ballroom array. If she puts me in her breast, he thought, she must sometime touch me with her lips, and then... And then, when the maid was giving soft finishing touches to the princess's hair, the beloved one herself took up the poppy and arranged it in the meshes of gold. Alas, thought the poppy, even while he nestled blissfully in its warmest depths, I shall never reach her lips from here, but I shall dream of her when dead, and for a plowboy that surely is enough of happiness. So he went down with her to the ball, and could feel the soft throbbing of her temples for she had not yet seen this prince who was to be her lover, and her head was full of gentle agitation and excitement to know what he would be like. Very soon he was presented to her in state. Certainly he was extremely passable. He was tall and fine, and had a pair of splendid mustachios that stuck out under his nostrils like walrus tusks, and curled themselves like ram's horns. Beyond slight fear that these might sweep her away when he tried to kiss her, she favored his looks sufficiently to be prepared to accept his hand when he offered it. Then music called to them invitingly, and she was led away to the dance. As they danced, the prince said, I cannot tell how it is, I feel as if someone were looking at me. Half the world is looking at you, said the princess in slight mockery. Do you not know you are dancing with Princess Fleur de Lis? "'Beautiful princess,' said the prince. "'Can I ever forget it? "'But it is not in that way that I feel myself looked at. "'I could swear I have seen somewhere "'a man with a sunburnt face and a bold black eye looking at me. "'There is no such here,' said the princess. "'And they danced on. "'When the dance was over, the prince led her to a seat "'screened from view by rich hangings of silken tapestry, "'and Princess Fleur de Lis knew that the time for the wooing was come. "'She looked at him. Quite clearly, she meant to say, yes. Without being glad, she was not sorry. If he wooed well, she would have him. It is strange, said the prince. I certainly feel that I am being looked at. The princess was offended. I'm not looking at you in the least, she said slightingly. Ah, replied the other. If you did, I should lose at once any less present sensation. For when your eyes are upon me, I know only that I love you. You, princess, who are the most beautiful, the most radiant, the most accomplished, the most charming of your sex, why should I waste time in laying my heart bare before you? It is here. It is yours. Take it. Truly, thought the princess, this is very pretty wooing, and by no means ill done. She bent down her head, and she toyed, and she coyed, but she would not say yes yet. But the poppy, when he heard the prince's words, first went all of a tremble, 
and then, giving a great jump, fell down at the princess's feet. And she, toying and coying and not wishing to say yes yet, bent down, and taking up the poppy from where it had fallen, brushed it gently to and fro over her lips to conceal her smiles, and then tucking her chin down into the dimples of her neck, began to arrange the flower in the bosom of her gown. As she did so, all of a sudden a startled look came over her face. "'Oh, I am afraid!' she cried. "'The man, the man with the red face and the strong black eyes!' "'What is the matter?' demanded the prince, bending over her in the greatest concern. "'No, no!' she cried. "'Go away! Don't touch me! I can't and I won't marry you! Oh dear! Oh dear! What is going to become of me?' And she jumped up and ran away out of the ballroom and up the great staircase, where she let the poppy fall, and right into her own room, where she barred and bolted herself in. In the palace there was the greatest confusion. Everybody was running about and shaking heads at everybody else. "'Heads and tails, as it come to this!' cried the king, as he saw a party of serving men turning out a plowboy, who by some unheard-of means had found his way into the palace. Then he went up to interview his daughter as to her strange and sudden refusal of the prince." The princess wrung her hands and cried. She didn't know why, but she couldn't help herself. Nothing on earth should induce her to marry him. Then the king was full of wrath, and declared that if she were not ready to obey him in three days' time, she would be turned out into the world like a beggar to find a living for herself. So for three days the princess was locked up and kept on nothing but bread and water, and every day she cried less and was more determined than ever not to marry the prince. "'Whom do you suppose you are going to marry, then?' demanded the king in a fury. "'I don't know,' said the princess. "'I only know he is a deer, and he has got a beautiful tanned face and bold black eyes.' The king felt inclined to have all the tanned faces and bold black eyes in his kingdom put to death. But as the princess's obstinacy showed no signs of abating, he ended by venting all his anger upon her. So on the third day she was clothed in rags, and had all her jewelry taken off her, and was turned out of the palace to find way through the world alone. And as she went on and on, crying and wondering what would become of her, she suddenly saw by the side of the road a charming cottage with poppies growing at the door, and in the doorway stood a beautiful man, with a tanned face and bold black eyes, looking as like a poppy as it was possible for a man to look. Then he opened his arms, and the princess opened her arms, and he ran, and she ran, and they ran, and they ran, and they ran, till they were locked in each other's arms, and lived happily ever after. <sighs> that was The Rooted Lover. I think this is a really interesting one um, for a number of reasons. I think one, uh, we generally think of our hero or heroine of a, the romantic lead as somebody of a very, very, very particular aesthetic. Generally, we always see them with blonde hair, occasionally black hair, and blue eyes. Uh, we really never see a brown-eyed heroine or hero, let alone a black-eyed one. And we never see a redhead as seen as beautiful. And our hero is not necessarily seen as beautiful initially, um, but it kind of lends this understanding of there is beauty in this quote-unquote homeliness. But I also think this one's really interesting because this is a humble plowboy, which is what we've seen in the past, a humble poor boy who wants to marry a princess. Whoop-de-doo, same usual. 
Um, but he tends, he goes through this in a very different way. He still asks for help from a witch or from some sort of magic user, um, but he turns into a flower, which is not at all what you usually think of a hero, a masculine hero, to do to woo their love. Um, and also beyond that, his simple strength is through perseverance and through optimism. He wasn't sure if he was going to get the goal that he wanted. He wasn't sure if he was going to get to live with her or love her. After that first day, he kind of resigned himself to say, okay, this probably won't work, but as long as I'm here, and as long as this is what my life will be, I'm going to make it last as long as possible so that I can enjoy her from afar or as a flower that can only see her in this garden um, for as long as it takes. I think that's a really interesting perspective for these fairy tales. They don't usually say just stick with it um, and keep going. Um, Yeah, I just think it's beautiful. So thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, You can check me out on Instagram at Subway Sidecar or like and comment in whatever podcatcher that you use. Um, Any shares are very appreciated, though not at all required, because this is purely a labor of love for you, my listeners, who are already here. And I will see you soon, hopefully with another RPG. Thanks. Have a good day.